A little over 17 years ago, on August 6, 2005, I stood in almost this exact spot and I said my wedding vows to Chip. It was a little over 17 years ago and, and we made that commitment before God and our family and our friends and, and you know, we didn't really know much at all about marriage or, or even anything, but, but we knew that we love each other and that we were, we were gonna do this for the rest of our lives and, and have a life together and a family together. And, and you know, honestly, that was a pretty easy commitment to make, even though we didn't know much about it. And we had no idea what the next 17 years would bring with, with crazy adventures and two incredible kids that he would be pastoring this church one day. We, we had no idea. But God has been really faithful to us and blessed us immeasurably when we made that commitment. And I think commitments, the things we're committed to, are a large part of defining who we are. You know, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a spouse, so I'm committed to my marriage. I'm a mom, I'm committed to my children and bringing them up in a godly home and, and hopefully giving them the best childhood and, and teenage experience that we can. I'm committed to my career, I'm a teacher, and, and I'm committed to putting effort into being the best I can at teaching and providing a great atmosphere for my students. I'm committed to this church, I love this church passionately, committed to the worship department. It's like family to me, I'm committed to the women's ministry. These are things that I've committed to giving 100% of myself to because they're important to me. And I think the things that we commit to define who we are. What are some of the reasons we're afraid to commit to things? Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe we are lazy. Maybe we think someone else is gonna do it. Maybe we don't feel qualified. Maybe we're waiting to be asked. There's, there's a, several reasons that we are afraid to commit to things. Some commitments are easier to make than others. And some of us just in general have an easier time saying yes than other people do. But we are well into our series about faith and miracles. And this week we are gonna talk about daring to commit. And how when we are willing to commit, that we give God space to come in and do big things. And, and do miracles and maybe even use us to be part of other people's miracles when we dare to commit. And there are three areas we're gonna look at today and surely there are more areas that God asks us to commit to but we're gonna look at three. And the first one is being committed to church, being a part of a church family and hopefully this one because I think this is a really great place but God asks us to be part of a church family, being in fellowship, committing to each other, holding each other accountable, holding each other up, worshiping together, serving together. The Bible speaks quite a lot about the importance of community and being in fellowship. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It is God's will for us to meet together. 
You know, I was thinking back to, to the pandemic. When the pandemic first started and we all stayed home, the churches were closed. And you know, for a couple weeks, two or three weeks, that was, I guess, a little fun. We sat at the kitchen table, had my pajamas on and my cup of tea and had the big computer screen. And we sat and we watched church as a family. And you know, for a couple weeks, it was fun. And then it wasn't because I missed my church family. I missed that community. I missed worshiping alongside my brothers and sisters. I just missed the fellowship. When we take ourselves away from church, what are some things that happen? We feel, after a time, we might feel a little isolated. We might feel a little lonely and alone. Some fears might start to kick in. We drift. We might start making some decisions that we ought not to be making. We have no accountability. That is not the way God designed it. When we take ourselves away from the group, from this place, things happen that sometimes maybe even spiral out of control. God's plan always was for the church to meet together. He knew that we would need each other and that we can do more together than we can alone. Romans 12, four and five says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We belong to each other and we were designed to fit together like a perfect puzzle. We belong in church. You know, in America, we have probably the most easy access to church than any country in the world. Just on my way here this morning, I think I drove past four or five churches. There's churches on almost every corner in, in a lot of places. In fact, the hardest thing for me, honestly, is the Main Street endless construction. You with me on that? So I don't take Main Street now, I take Livingston, and I can get here in about 10 minutes. If I catch that red light at the five-way, it takes me about 15. But otherwise, I can get here pretty fast. It's easy, isn't it? But yet, for some reason, sometimes we find reasons not to be here. I stayed up too late, the game was on, I had a hard week, I worked too hard, I'm tired, I just wanna take a break. We find reasons and we have our lists of of why we may or may not come to church. The Bible says in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let yes. me say that again. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Should that not be how we feel on Sunday morning? I know personally, I can't wait to get here. This is the highlight of my week. I, I think of it almost like, you know, when you charge your cell phone every night and then you go out and you use it all day the next day and, and it starts to drain, so you charge it again the next night. And I, to me, that's how church feels a little bit. We come together, we get recharged and refreshed, then we go back out into the world and do all the things that we are supposed to do. We start to get drained as the weeks are tough but then we get to come back together and get recharged again. 
And that's the beautiful thing about church. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, church is not this easy in other parts of the world. They're not churches on every corner with the only obstacle constructed on Main Street. In parts of Asia, church is illegal. Going to a Christian church is illegal. And so some countries have to have church in an unmarked building and they keep the kids in a separate building or at least in a separate area so that if the police, if the government comes in and raids, the kids can be, can be safer and separate, but the government will shut them down if they know that that church is meeting. And, and I suspect it's not a calm and peaceful shutdown. And yet they go to church every Sunday and they don't neglect meeting together because they understand the importance of being in corporate fellowship and worship and they wouldn't miss it. They risk everything to go to church. I was reading a blog of a missionary in a, in a remote part of Africa and how she described church was that people have to walk for miles to get to the center of the village where the church service is. And it's hot and it's dry. And the women carry big, long wooden benches on their heads so that when they get to the center of the village, they have a place to sit, hopefully under some shade. And they gather in a circle and they put a bowl on the ground and they put their offerings in the bowl and they have church and they don't have the resources for a worship team. They don't have uh, musical instruments and, and microphones. So they just sing at the top of their lungs and they, they make drum sounds with their hands and they clap and they have church and they walk for miles to do it. They don't miss it. It's easy for us, isn't it? But sometimes we find reasons not to commit to church. We might say, I wanna watch it online, or I'll just sit at my kitchen table and read the Bible. That's, I'll just do church by myself. That is not how God designed it. When we take ourselves away from the group, isolation sets in and fear Sometimes our view of truth gets distorted, it gets skewed. This past summer, my family took a trip to the Grand Canyon. Has anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon? Quite a few. If you, if you have or have not been there, it is probably the most breathtaking place I've ever seen. It is vast and beautiful and just, it's God's creation and it is magnificent. I've actually, I've been there before, but it was a really long time ago and I wanted Chip and the kids to be able to see it. So we, we had some flights that we needed to use, so we decided to take a trip to the Grand Canyon. And I have to say that this was my idea and I was, I was a little bit proud of it. Now I need to preface this story with a couple of important things. If you've heard me speak before, you might know that I have an unrelenting fear of heights. And this is a lesser known fact about me, but I fall down a lot. And it's not like, and let me say this, it's not, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just clumsy. I'm clumsy and I have these glorious size 11s and there's nothing dainty about them. So I fall down and it is, it's not like just a stumble. 
It's, it's a fall and roll several feet. And I, I wish that I could tell you this was not true, but it is very true. And whenever we have any sort of family hiking event, the Chip and the kids sort of set up a schedule of shifts. Who's gonna watch mom? So somebody takes the morning shift, afternoon shift. This is all very true. So I want you to keep that in mind as I tell you this story. Because we are at the Grand Canyon, which while it is magnificent, it is the most horrifying place I've ever been. So once I got past the breathtaking, beautiful God's creation, panic set in. As Soon as we got past the parts where there's guardrails, panic set in. So I'm gonna just kind of give you a little idea of what the day, how it went. There's not a lot of places with guardrails at the Grand Canyon. There's a few, but you kind of walk away from those pretty quickly. And so I'm trying to be brave mom, and you know, because I'm the one that's been here before, but I wasn't, it wasn't gonna happen. So, so the way it kind of went, we're, we're trying to walk a trail, trying to be cool, not cool. So what I found myself doing as we were walking is I'm starting to like sort of lean over while I walk because here's the canyon and I think somehow if I lean this way and I walk, I'm a little bit farther away from it. Well, I'm sure first of all that had to look ridiculous. It also is very uncomfortable after a while. This started to hurt so I said, all right, this isn't happening. So. I let the family continue on the trail and I decided I'm gonna walk over here about 10 feet in the trees. So here's me in the trees, here's my family on the trail, and then here's the canyon. That's how the day went. So it gets worse. We took, I had a little respite from the panic, but it is really, the agitation and the panic was growing all day, all day, all day, compounding, just filled with angst. And then, so we took a little dinner break. I got to calm down. But then it was time for the sunset. And when you're at the Grand Canyon, you don't want to miss the sunset. My daughter, she's an outstanding photographer, and she'd been waiting for weeks to get the sunset shots. So we found a, a place that, had a great view for the sunset, so started to walk towards it, and, and I realized, you know what, I, this is not, I'm, I was pretty much undone at this point, so I just kind of let them, Chip and the kids, go to that great spot to get the pictures, and I, now I'm not just in the trees about 10 feet, I'm like 50 yards away. So I'm way, way back. And I'm not looking at the sunset, I'm looking at them, because I'm just worried. And from where I stood, it looked like they were right on the edge, because I was so far back from the group at this point. So what I was looking at was not what was actually happening. But, so I'm back there by myself, panicking, freaking out, probably shaking, and then something unthinkable happened. My beloved husband, Chip, stumbled over a rock. Mm -hmm. He stumbled, not like me, he didn't stumble and roll three feet, he just stumbled and he was fine. But that was all it took and I came undone and all of a sudden I'm just crying like ugly cry, tears are streaming, I'm, it's like a silent where you can't get anything out. I am undone. 
And I don't know who saw me, but one of them, I couldn't see through all the tears, but one of them saw me. So they all came running over, mommy, okay, you okay? And I'm, I'm trying to get the words out, I saw you fall. And I'm just trying to, trying to get it out. And they did what any loving family would do. They laughed at me. <laughs> Every last one of them, they laughed at me. Mm -hmm. It's my family. So once they got through their laughter, I did not want Becca to miss the, the sunset. She waited too long for that. So this isn't where the story ends, but, but I want you to know, when I took myself away from the group, the isolation and the fear and the panic set in big time and I lost it. And then my perception of the truth got messed up. They said, look, we're not even on the edge. They showed me a picture on their phone and they said, we're actually about 20 or 30 feet from the edge. But I couldn't see that because I was so far away from the group. So the story actually has a happier ending. I, sent, I said, you guys go get your shots. I'm gonna stay back here. I see that you're not on the edge, so that gave me a little bit of comfort, but I, I just wasn't doing it. But then something happened that I would say was probably the best earthly example of church that I have seen. Out of my son, who at the time was 14, now 15, he turned 15 last week. But he said, Mom, I'll stay back here with you. But then he said, I'm not gonna let you miss the sunset. So he took me to another place that had a guardrail that was safer so that we could watch the sunset together. He didn't want me to miss it. Yeah, that's my son. I got great kids, we are so blessed. But isn't that what church does? Doesn't it come alongside you and say, okay, I see that you're not ready for this, but I will walk alongside you so you don't miss it. I'm gonna stay with you and walk this out with you. That's what church does. That's what life groups do. So that you don't miss it. There will never be a time that God calls us away from church. There will never be a time. We were made for fellowship. God desires us to be together, to fellowship together, to worship together, to serve together, and he also understood and knew that that is the only way for us to make it in this world. We need each other. My, probably my favorite passage in all of the whole Bible is Acts chapter two, because it's a beautiful picture of what church was supposed to be. It's like the prototype. And I wanna read verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter two, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. 
and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Did you catch that part? They devoted themselves to meeting together, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. When they met together, miracles took place. When we meet together, miracles take place. Because it's like saying, God, I trust you. I trust you enough to be here. And when we are in this, we can see where God is moving and join him in that. When we take ourselves out of it, we kind of have to guess and we kind of have to wonder if God's even gonna show up. But when we keep ourselves in the group and see what God is doing, the guesswork goes away and we can expect, we can expect that he's gonna show up and that he's doing something. It might not be the something that we are looking for, but we can look for it and see it and join up with that. I've heard it said, snowflakes are fragile, but if, if enough of them band together, they can stop traffic. Yes. We need to commit to being part of a church body. The second area we're going to talk about making a commitment in is giving and tithing. Pastor Chip spoke about this a few weeks back. Tithing is when we give our top, right off the top of our income, 10% back to the church body that we're committed to, 10% of our income. Giving is beyond that. So that might be beyond your tithe, that might be supporting a mission, a missionary, different things that we can, can give to beyond our tithe. Malachi chapter three is possibly the most familiar passage about tithing. And I wanna read verse 10 from Malachi chapter three. It says this, bring the tithes into the storehouse so there, will, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. God says when we tithe, he will pour out more blessings that we won't have enough room to take them all in. And this is the one place in the Bible where God says, test me, try me, try me in this, I'll show you. Well, how does tithing create space for miracles? Tithing and giving is an act of faith that says, God, I trust you with this, so I'm gonna give it to you right off the bat. Before I pay my bills or go out to eat or anything else, I'm gonna give you this money right off the bat. I trust you with it, and God shows up. And that grows our faith. And when our faith grows, it makes us wanna give even more. God shows up even more. It's like this cycle of goodness. We give, God blesses. There are so many instances I can point to where God has moved in big ways on our behalf, and I, I believe that's a direct result of our tithing and giving. The very first time I wrote a tithe check, the Chip and I were dating, and he talked to me about tithing, and it wasn't that I was resistant to it, it was just not something I was really aware of. It was sort of unfamiliar to me. So he talked to me about tithing, and he showed me some Bible passages, and I said, oh, okay. I, I, I was a little nervous about it, because you worry, you know, you worry, well, I have enough, but, but I did it, I wrote the check, 
and I put it in the, the baskets that we used to pass here, and, and um, you know, I felt pretty good about it. I, I actually, it's, it's a kind of a feeling of relief in a way, because we're doing things God's way, and there's some freedom in that. So I put the check in, and then I went home to my apartment. I lived in an apartment at the time, and and I hadn't, for some reason, I hadn't checked the mail the day before. The mail doesn't come on Sundays, right? But it, I had not checked it the day before. So on my way back home, I stopped at my mailbox and I opened it and inside my mailbox, there was an envelope from the IRS. Now, 90% of the time, envelopes from the IRS are not the best news. So I took it out and with, with kind of a shaky hand looking through, my fingers, I opened it, and inside this mail from the IRS, there was an apology letter saying that they had made an error in my taxes from about two or three years prior. Two or three years, I didn't know, I wouldn't have known, and there was a check in the envelope for $12 more than what I had just put in the tithe. So not only did God repay, he repaid extra just like Malachi chapter three said. And I was convinced that's all I needed. God does that. Now it's not always quite so blatant. It's not always quite so obvious, but God shows up when we tithe and when we give. And sometimes it's the repair that we didn't have to make or the repair that we didn't have to pay for. I think he blesses our, our health as well because we're trusting him and we're showing him, I trust you to do it your way. What if by our giving and our tithing, we became part of someone else's miracle? Next week, Pastor Chip is going to interview Dr. Dave Kessig. And Dr. Kessig oversees a mission called Luke's Brigade. And I don't want to say too much about that because they're going to talk next week, but just kind of a, a brief summary is that Luke's Brigade provides medical kits to places in the world that do not have access to medical care. And I know that they operate in South America, Asia, Africa, I believe. And you'll hear more about that next week. But the medical kits go to places that have no medical care and, and the, the people, the local people are trained by Dr. Kessig and some others, trained how to use the medical kits. And it provides care to people in places that don't have it. Now, those medical kits cost $15, which is not very much. It really is amazing. And so, church, I want to issue a challenge. Okay, I want you to be in prayer this week. Ask God, how many kits do you want me to buy? Not if, because we're not going to say if. I think we can all do at least one. So how many kits do you want me to buy? And in an act of faith, come up with a number. I want you to add one more to it. So if you feel like God says one, do two. If you feel like God says four, do five. In an act of faith, we're gonna put ourselves out there and we're gonna flood Luke's brigade with a whole bunch of medical kits so that people in parts of the world can have health care. I am confident that we can do that. This is a very giving church. You know, our Easter offerings year after year are mind-blowing as we send money to Haiti to feed children, wheelchairs to Vietnam, 
and water filters in Brazil, this church gives sacrificially. And it is a blessing to be a part of that. When we do that, we might just become a part of someone else's miracle. The last area we're going to talk about today where we need to dare to commit is serving. Serving. What is your role in the church? What is your role in the kingdom? And maybe another question would be, where are the needs that you see? What are your gifts? And is there a place where those two can intersect, your needs and the gifts that you have? All of us have the same call. And that call is to grow the church and build the kingdom. That call is to grow the church and build the kingdom. But I think sometimes some of us are reluctant to serve. And I think often the reason is because we don't feel qualified. But nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes I think too, we kind of feel like we need to wait for complete confirmation before we take a step. We need everything to just sort of be lined up right. And then we'll say, okay, Lord, I got you. I'll do it. I want to tell you about a a missionary that I met several years ago. Way back before, before I was married. In fact, I lived in Cleveland at the time. And I developed an um, interest in foreign missions. And I attended a national missionary convention in Indianapolis. And I, uh, my pastor at the time knew that I was feeling a call towards missions, so he had set up for me a meeting with a missionary family so that I could talk to them about some opportunities. And the family's, the family's name was the Hamilton family. It was Al and Annette Hamilton, and they had three grown daughters. And I, I went to the convention, and I met Al and Annette. And, and, you know, if you remember, a few weeks ago, Pastor Chip was talking about our dash, that space between when we're born and when we pass away, that that dash in the middle of what we did with our lives. And the dash of Al Hamilton's life is incredible. Al passed away, he went home to heaven in 2014, but the things that he did in his lifetime, imagine if this was your dash. Al served as the director of an organization called Mission Services, He also founded Pioneer Bible Translators, which translates the Bible into all languages that they can and gets it into the hands of people across the globe. He founded Outreach International, which is another uh, international missions organization. He pastored several churches, traveled throughout the U.S. preaching at revivals, rallies, camps, recruiting missionaries. He personally served in South Africa, Uganda, Kenya, Sudan, and Southeast Asia. And it goes on. That was the dash of Al Hamilton. And I was there in a meeting with him. And and we talked for quite a while. And he told me about some of the things that he was involved with. And when we got to the, almost the end of the conversation, I said, Al, can I ask you a question? My question was, how do you know that's what God wanted you to do? How do you know God's calling you to Sudan? or to be the founder of Pioneer Bible Translators. And his answer was not what I expected, but it stayed with me all these years. He said, I don't. 
He said, I don't know, but I tell God this is what I want to do, and if you don't want me to do it, you're going to have to stop me. All right. That stayed with me. Now, I don't think that we should use that for everything in life. It's a little risky. But I think when we can use that is when we know the call of God, and that is the same for all of us. See, Al understood God's will because he understood the Great Commission, which is God's will for all of us. The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20, and it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Al Hamilton already knew God's will. He didn't have to ask. He knew God's will because he understood the Great Commission. And that is the same call for all of us. Of course, we should pray, and I would never say not to do that, but we also need to put feet to our faith and get at it. Not all of us can do world missions. Not all of us are going to be physically able to go overseas, but all of us have things we could do just even right here in this church. But what often happens when opportunities arise? What's our usual answer? Let me pray about that. Which is great, yes, pray. I would never tell you not to. But we get stuck there, don't we, sometimes? We stay in the, let me pray about that mode, and we don't move forward. We wonder if we're qualified. We wonder if it's actually God's will. And we're waiting for everything to line up, and so we don't move. But let me ask you this question. Why wouldn't God want us to serve the church? Why would he say no? Now, there are circumstances in our lives that, that maybe the answer is not quite right now. You got too many other things going on, or you know, there's something bigger around the corner. Sometimes the answer is, let's wait. But the reality for most of us is, why wouldn't God want us to serve the church? How much time do we really need to pray about that when we know that is the call on our lives? I think sometimes maybe if we had the approach of Al Hamilton and just said, God, this is what I want to do, I'm going to walk it out. If you don't want me to do it, stop me. I think sometimes God says, what do you want to do? If it lines up with the Bible and the opportunities in front of you, press into that. That's God's will. He's the one that put that desire on our heart. I want to read a passage from the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 14. The backstory, this is, this is fairly familiar. The backstory is that the Egyptians had the Israelites in captivity for over 400 years. The Israelites were the slaves of the Egyptians. And God sent plague after plague after plague into Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh said, I will let these people go. I've had enough. So the Egyptians set the Israelites free after 400 years in captivity. But then 
the Egyptians were upset that they lost their slave labor. So they came back after the Israelites. They came after them with their vast army and chariots and horses and all of it. They came after the Israelites and they backed them up to the Red Sea. And this is the familiar part, the story of the Red Sea. Well, at this point, there's nowhere to go. The sea is in front of them. The, the Egyptians are behind them. The Israelites are stuck. And they're in a panic, and they are angry at Moses, who has led them to this point. And they cry out to the Lord, and they let Moses have it. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, listen to what God said. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Tell the people to get moving. And the rest of the story, Moses raises up his arms and God parts the Red Sea. And this is a big miracle and I don't want to gloss over it. When you have the time, go back and read this because it's just miraculous, the power of God. But Moses raises his arms, God parts the waters, the Israelites pass through to safety, the Egyptians enter and God closes up the waters and wipes them all out, just like that. But God said, tell the people to get moving. Stop praying and get moving. Now, of course we pray, but we can't stop there, right? He doesn't want us to act rashly, but he also doesn't want us to get stuck and never put feet to our faith. We need to pray and we need to trust and we need to get moving. If a pastor or a leader in the church comes to you and says, hey, I think you would be really good at the cafe, or you'd be a great upward soccer coach, or you'd be great in children's ministry. There's, there's so many things. Press into that. Press into it. When we don't, and we say, let me just sit on this for a while, let me pray about this, we find ourselves asking, is this God's will? Probably. It's okay to try it. You know what, we'll know pretty quick if it wasn't the right fit, so we can try something else. But if we don't, it's kind of like, I picture it like the hamster on the, in the ball that just keeps, he's running, but the ball keeps spinning, and we never quite get off the wheel, do we? You know, in a couple weeks, we have the Halloween party. That's a good place to try it out. There's, there are opportunities to serve, if we all just gave a half hour, we would have this place covered and all the spots would be full. That's a great place to kind of dip your foot in the pool. If you're trying to figure out where God wants you to serve, start with that. Start with something that's just a one-day thing. And I bet you will find the fellowship and the camaraderie is way more fun than you imagined and it's going to give you a hunger to keep serving. Try it out. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chip read this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4. It says, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. If we're constantly in a place of waiting and watching, waiting for everything to line up, waiting for that absolute sign, should I do this or not, we're never going to do anything. And the kingdom work that God is calling us to do isn't going to get done. 
I saw this meme recently that said, the church is not a cruise ship where a handful of people serve everyone else who is relaxing. No, the church is a battleship where it's all hands on deck and everyone serves the mission. We have a job to do and a call on our lives to serve, and there is never a better time than right now to commit to that. And when we step in to serving, once again, we're giving God space to show up and do mighty works on our behalf. Because every act that we do, every act of service is also an act of trust and faith. And we're saying, God, I trust you. I am doing this for your church and your kingdom. I trust you. And God wants to bless us for that. That's when he shows up the most. I'm going to bring it home with this. When we dare to commit, whether that is committing to being a regular part of a church body, to our tithing and our giving, or to serving, when we dare to commit, we open up doors of opportunity that we just have no idea about. God starts to work miracles, not just in our lives, but he uses us to be part of other people's miracles. Chip told me this story after one of their mission trips to Brazil. They installed a water filter in the home of a lady on the river who had been drinking from the Amazon River and sick, her family was sick. They installed a water filter and her response was, never in my life did I think there would be Americans in my home? Think about that. I think that was a miracle for her. Something she could only dream about was happening in front of her, but the bigger miracle wasn't that. The bigger miracle was that she was gonna have clean water and her family would become healthy. The church mission team got to be a part of her miracle. People from thousands of miles away heeded the call of God to go and serve. That was our mission team. Also people from thousands of miles away heeded the call to give, and that was all of you, heeded the call to give, and God worked miracles. Isn't it exciting to get to be a part of that? We won't see all of it on this side of heaven, but God sees it, and he is just waiting to pour blessings on us. So in closing, commit to a church body, and hopefully this one. Be in fellowship, be present. Hold each other up, be accountable. Walk somebody over so that they don't miss what's going on. And if they're not ready for all this, then you walk with them until they are, just like my son did. Commit to tithing and giving. There is not going to be a better time than right now. If this is not a regular part, of your life, I wanna encourage you that today should be the day. Commit to it because God is just waiting to bless us. I've heard it say he can do so much more with our 10% than we can do with our 90. There's never gonna be a better time than right now. Commit to serving because there is a lot of work to be done and each one of us is needed for that. Parents and adults, young people are watching us to see if we're doing these things, if we're doing what God is calling us to do. The young people are watching. What's our example gonna be? Youth, the people younger than you are watching you, the role models. What is your example? 
Can we show them that we are here for it to serve, be committed to this church, tithing and giving? We have a chance to be an example in the things that God is calling us to do. Our commitments define who we are. So let your definition of your life, of your character, be one that is, I was committed to church. I was committed to sharing my finances sacrificially. And I was committed to serving the Lord, whether that is right here in this church, globally, all of it matters. One is not more important than the other. So it's time to get moving. We're gonna do this together. I'm gonna start next week with Luke's Brigade. And I believe we are on the edge of a whole lot of miracles that God is just waiting to pour out. And I'm excited to be here for it. I'm excited to be here for it with all of you. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the truths of your word. I thank you that you've called us to this church body to be in fellowship together, Lord. And I thank you for the promises that you want to bless us and do miracles when we commit to you and to serving you, Lord. We praise you for that, God. Thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.